Today's passage is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and verses 9 and 12. And that's on page 987 in the Bibles around the room. When I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and your reply, thanks be to God. And we say this because we're thankful that God gave us his word to have authority over us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for, your, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, and that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and help us to live this scripture out. Let this church be a place that is filled with love for one another. Lift up Pastor Shea as he preaches today. Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, Miss Shelby. Appreciate you. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, man, it's going to be that kind of morning, huh? Thank you. Appreciate it. It's good. To, it's so good. So good to see all of you. Uh, my name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Livingstones. Uh, if you're new here, welcome. So glad you're here to join us. If my face looks new, it's because I've been gone the last couple of weeks. Me and my family took a vacation back east. We actually went uh, to Florida. We went to Disney World, which I am thoroughly convinced now that Disney is trying to take over the world, and they are succeeding for some odd reason. Um, but we did Disney for a week. It was crazy. We just missed the hurricane, so we got back safe. Uh, and then, yeah, awesome. And then we did a week at uh, going through South Carolina, going through the place, some of the places where I grew up, show my family my old stomping ground and my, my friends and things like that. It's pretty cool because we got a chance to catch up with a lot of them. Not everybody, but we did get a chance to catch up with everybody. And uh, then we came back here, and we got a freak snowstorm. And <laughs> I'm like, what is this? <laughs> but no, we were, we were back in South Carolina, and as we were visiting with my friends, uh, it was so good to see them. Th these are men that I've had a relationship with for the last 30 years of my life. And uh, seeing them again was like, you know how you – uh, reconnect with friends, and it's like time, it's, it's like it's always been there, and uh, that's what it felt like. It was so good to see them, and actually, uh, when we were getting ready to leave, I had to pull the car over to the side, because I just started crying, because I was, I was leaving him, and my wife was looking at me like, this is the guy I married, really? No, I'm she didn't do that, um, but here's a picture of them. Uh, we grew up, we all grew up together, and uh, yeah, that was us. Uh, my head is a lot, like, smaller back then it's gotten bigger but I was as I was uh reflecting on our, my relationship with these guys uh I would think back I was thinking back through time how um these these were like my brothers that's how that's how tight we were when we grew up like these were the these were the guys that when I did something bad I was scared to tell them because they would get on my case so hard uh, we hold each other accountable when when one person had something we all had it if I uh got gas in my car all of us were jumping in the whip at the same time. Like it was just, we were just brothers like that. 
And um, to have that type of brotherly affection, uh, it's just, it's good. It feels good for the soul. You guys have friends like that? Where just having that, that brotherly affection, it just feels good. And that's what we're called to in the Christian faith. That's the type of brotherly love we're supposed to have for one another, holding each other accountable. When one has something, we all have it. Sharing uh, love and compassion with one another. And that's what uh, Paul is talking about in this section of Scripture. And so it's what I'm going to be talking about today. If you're joining us for the first time, we're going through the books of Thessalonians. We're calling it Viral Hope. Uh, but today, uh, in the, as we see Paul writing, we see Paul, Paul writing to encourage the Thessalonians in their faith. And in chapter 4, uh, we start seeing Paul give some of his final thoughts, starting to wrap up the letter. And he's giving uh, a highlight of what it means to live a life that's pleasing to God. If you were here last week, uh, Pastor Matt preached an awesome sermon on sex. Uh, I traded with him, and I'm so glad because I would have jacked it up. Uh, and I would have said all kind of crazy stuff, and y'all would have said, we don't want you as our pastor anymore. Um, but he preached an awesome sermon. It took us, uh, what, took us through what holy sexuality looks like. And uh, in today's text, Paul kind of switches gears, and he's talking about the church's relationship with one another. Paul thought that the way that the Thessalonians were acting with each other had the potential to negatively impact how the world saw their Christian faith. Not that they were doing anything wrong. He just saw that there was a potential there. And Paul doesn't seem to call out a, a specific sin. Instead, he calls them into higher and higher forms of holiness as they begin to love one another. And it's through that love, uh, it's through the love of God, the basis of their faith, it's through that love that they can now love each other in deeper and deeper ways. And I want to make sure I say this point because I think it's, it's ultra important. If you're writing something down, please write down this point. Uh, living a life pleasing to God includes brotherly affection. Living a life pleasing to God includes brotherly affection. The basis of our Christian life is all about love. It's what defines us as the people of God. We are called to sacrificially love one another and to pursue holiness. Jesus uh, said in, in John, John chapter 13, that the way the world will know you is by the way you love each other. First John uh, chapter 4 uh, he says that, that God is love. And if, and if a person comes along and says they love God, but they hate their brother, they're a liar. The truth's not in them. Jesus said the most important commandment that we have is to simultaneously love God with all of our mind, soul, heart, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It's this idea of brotherly affection that Paul is talking about. We are called to express this biblical love for one another because it's that love that we display that God wants the entire world to see. That was Paul's concern for the church as he was writing, and it's my concern as we're going through this sermon today. And I only have three points this morning that I'm going to take us through. And the first one, well, the first one is it's all about love. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you didn't turn there before, go ahead and turn there now. Uh, we're just going to be going through it verse by verse. Uh, if you are here and you don't own a Bible, I want you to take that one. We, we place little Bibles around the room. Uh, if you don't own one, we want you to have it. That's why we give at this church. That's why the saints 
uh, in this church are so sacrificially and joyfully giving so that you can have the word of God in your hands. Um, so let's turn to page 987. If you're not grabbing one of those Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 9. It says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. If you read this in the original text, there's actually two words uh, that Paul uses for the word love. It's kind of we're kind of handicapped in the English language. Uh, language we only have one word for love, so you can love pizza and love your wife pretty much the same in the English language. Uh, but if you look at it in the original context, there's all kind of words for what we would know as love. And Paul uses two of those words here in this text. He uses phileo. That's where we get the idea of brotherly love. So if you ever visit the city of Philadelphia, it's called the city of brotherly love. Oh, man, here we go. <laughs> and then we also have this idea of agape love. It's this unconditional love of God. It's not based on anything uh, it's just love for the sake of loving. Sometimes it's love in spite of everything that someone might do to you. It's just love for the sake of love. And Paul says to them in this verse, he says, uh, I have no need to write to y'all. Y'all, y'all are already doing this. You're already killing it. Um, but he's urging them um, to do it more. And he, and, he, and he goes on to explain what this love means anyway. Like he says, I, I, don't, I don't have a need to write to you. But then he says, Blah, 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 love, love, love. You ever do that with your kids sometimes? Like they'll be playing around and stuff and you yell out, man, I know my children are so great. I know they cleaned their rooms. I have no need to say any of this because their rooms are like hurricanes and you got to get them to clean their rooms. I don't think that's what Paul is doing here. I think Paul, he knew, though he knew like he's writing to the Thessalonians, he also knew there was going to be other people who were reading this letter that he was writing to him, and he needed to let them know the basis of our Christian faith is about love. It's the standard of what it means to live this Christian life. It's all about love, and it's not, it's not that hippie kind of love. Y'all, y'all know the love I'm talking about, right? That kind of love that divorces um, like the love of God from every other aspect about him, as if God isn't holy, as if God won't judge, There's all these other aspects about God. And sometimes in our culture, especially in our culture right now, we've divorced everything else that's written about God just so we can say that God is love. It's not who God is. Matter of fact, the phrases of uh, like love is love and, and love wins, you ever seen this stuff? Our culture has hijacked this word love and made it into something gross and And sinful. Sometimes it's used as this defense mechanism. And you say, and people say stuff like, uh, if you love me, you won't tell me I'm wrong. That's not love. As a matter of fact, it's the most hateful thing that we can do to another person. Know they're wrong and not say anything. Or they'll use it to kind of cover up all this sexual misconduct. I was watching a video the other day of a, of a pride parade in San Francisco, and people were walking around with love wins signs, but they're basically painted on with kids walking around in front of them. It's, it's gross the way culture has hijacked this word love. It's also been used uh, to get the church 
to bury its head in the sand while culture strips God out of every aspect of social life. Love is love, absolutely, but the love of God is what defines love. We have to be willing to tell culture, no, that's not what love is. We have the definition of what love is. We're called to do something different. We're called to phileo one another. We're called to, to brotherly love. And Paul tells them, you're already doing this, but keep going. Do more. Find more ways to love each other. Get creative. Paul says to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, he says, outdo one another in showing honor as he's talking about this brotherly affection. That means get creative with it. You get a car, and you get a car. I don't know, but however you love each other, outdo one another in, in showing brotherly affection. Paul also makes the case um, that our love for one another holds theological implications. In other words, how we love one another reveals our understanding of God's love for us. I was in my community group uh, this past Thursday, and I'm sitting around, and I'm just kind of looking around and looking at everybody. We have a diverse community group, people from all kinds of backgrounds and, and, and races and everything else. And I was thinking, there's no way I'd be in relationship with these weirdos if it weren't for the love of God. They're strange. And I can say that because I'm strange. But seriously, like, I'm looking around this room, and I'm sure some of you would, would look around and say, there's no way that I would be uh, in brotherly affection with some of these people if it weren't for how much God adores me. I can now adore other people because of God's love for me. We're called to love each other with brotherly affection, and it's the love of God that is the basis for that brotherly love. It's God's agape. It's God's unconditional love of why we can have this brotherly love towards others. And that, that agape love, it's not based on anything we did. There's no way to earn it. It's all based on God's unconditional election. The, the fact that God saw before we did anything, before we were a twinkle in our, in our grandfather's eye, God elected us to saving faith all because he loved us. Christ came along and proved and solidified that love of God by dying on the cross self-sacrificially. And it's the Holy Spirit of God that comes along and makes us more and more to the image of Christ and helps us to where we don't jack the whole thing up because if put in our hands, we'd mess it all up. God proves his love every single day of our lives. It's not based on anything we did. Some people feel like they got to perform for God. Like I, I missed, like I missed prayer this morning or I haven't read my Bible in a week. Guess what? God loves you anyway. It's not based on anything you did. Nothing can be added to the faith that God has given you. Nothing can be taken away from it because it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on what Christ did over 2,000 years ago. God loves you. It's because we are agape by God that we can now phileo one another. See how that works? You have to understand that it's based on the love of God. And verse 9 says that we have been taught by God to love one another. How did God teach us to love? What, what lesson did he give us? I think that answer is found in Romans 5, um, verse 8. It says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were once enemies of God. 
and at our worst. Think, so I don't want anybody to raise their hands if you think, but think of like the worst thing you've done. Don't tell on yourself, but think of the worst thing you've done. In that moment that you just thought of is when Christ loved you the most. Jesus says, uh, just as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. In the same way that I've given you this unconditional affection, in the same way that I've given you this brotherly love, so I want you to go out and love other people. It's our calling as Christians. So just like Paul is commending them, I want to commend us. We're, we're doing this already. I'm a community group coach, and so I get an opportunity to go out and visit other community groups, and I'm, and I'm struck by uh, how much we're loving the places we live in, holding block parties and, and going to, to retirement homes and visiting people, just hanging out with non-believers. We're doing so much, and we're doing so well. I'm so proud of all of you. And seriously, like, good job, saints. I'm so proud of you guys. But don't stop. Keep going. Find new ways to love one another. And maybe it's, maybe it's something like, as we're having those relationships with other believers, maybe it's, you know how the world says, uh, like, don't judge me? You guys ever been told that? Like, don't judge me. Which I already said is probably one of the most loving things we could do is not judge them. What if we took that and we actually read the Bible and we judged our brothers and sisters anyway, but we made sure we took that log out of our eye before we talked about their sawdust? but we're still loving our brothers and sisters in the faith. What if we had relationships that were characterized by submission and faithfulness, commitment, all those bad words, right? Because we ain't got no time for that. It makes too much effort. What if we have those kind of relationships? What if we had people in our lives that we gave specific permission to call us out when we were doing wrong? So, so I'll pose that question. Who have you given that permission to? Who have you told, if I'm out of line, I need you to tell me? Who have you decided in your life to submit to? It's okay, y'all can be quiet. I get it. It's a tough one. It's that, but we need that in our Christian faith. It's what we're called to as believers. But it's out of that biblical understanding of love that Paul says, our internal aspirations and our aims for life, they should begin to shift. And that's my next point. Love, love should shift our aspirations. Look at verse 11, what it says. He says this, uh, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. You ever notice sometimes in the Christian faith, we aspire to the same thing the world does? Like we, we aspire to, to have wealth, to, to, to have comfort. We aspire to, to have pleasure. We do, we, and we get jobs and we get hobbies also. We can, they're kind of centered around those things. And, it's, and we, we try everything we do to get people to serve us. That's all the things that the world is after. But um, I don't know if you guys know this. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. We're called to look differently than what the world does. So we're not, we're not called to always chase after wealth. Matter of fact, those who are blessed with wealth have a, bit, have a greater responsibility to give that wealth away. We're not always called to pursue pleasure. Matter of fact, Christ said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. 
It's not the pursuit of pleasure is the main thing for life. It's the holiness of God. So Paul is making the case that our aspiration should be to live a life that's, that's more simple. It's based on God's love for us and our love for others. And I'm not saying that we can't have nice things. For those of you who have nice things, I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying that you can't go out and, and go on vacation and things like that. But if, but if our aspirations are to accumulate nice things, Paul is challenging that. Paul says our aspirations should be to live more of a simple life as we love God and love our brothers and sisters in the faith. So let's look at what Paul says our aspirations are to do. He says one of our aspirations are to live a quiet life, to live quietly. There's all kinds of ways to take this out of context. I had like, in this part of my sermon, I had like 20 minutes, but my wife was like, that's a bit much. You might want to tone it down. There's all kinds of ways that we can take this out of context. It's, uh, this, this particular phrase has been used to keep people from holding each other accountable, um, to keep people from coming to the pastors when they've got something going on. We've, I've had people come up to me and say, I, I don't want to bother you, but could you pray for me? That's, that's my biblical mandate is to pray for you. Don't feel like you have to live such a quiet life that you can't come to us when something's going on. The Bible, the Bible actually says to do that. The Bible says to come to your elders, have them place oil on you and pray with you if you have an ailment. It says to share good news with pastors because we need it. Because stuff, y'all got stuff going on. <laughs> it's this, this phrase of live a quiet life, it's kept people from calling out injustices when they see them. I was a, uh, I was thinking through, of course, rolling through the South, uh, you run up on all the plantations and all that kind of stuff and all the injustices that were done to African-Americans during that time. And, and the church used the Bible a lot of times to, to exact those injustices. And no one was willing to call it out because they said, you should just live a quiet life. Shut up in your slavery. That, that's not what this is saying. It's even kept the congregation from giving the pastor amen every now and then. Oh, okay, cool. Thank you. I didn't know if y'all were picking up on that. None of that is what this, this phrase means. Living a quiet life means avoiding anything that unnecessarily draws negative attention to the rest of the body. So like, it's not walking around with your chest all puffed out like you think you know everything. You, you are not Spurgeon. It's not, it's not walking around like you're Spurgeon. You guys get when I'm going there? It's not, it's not living with this chip on your shoulder because inside your heart, you're just raging at something. That's not living a quiet life. It's not being that person that's always in the middle of some stuff, always seeking after some kind of drama. You ever notice, like you watch TV, there's a lot of drama on TV. Just drama for the sake of drama, like, the, the Real Housewives of, of Washoe County and the uh, Big Brother and like all, all this stuff. And my mom, like, so I just, we just did this vacation with my mom. She came with us to Disney. And we were talking to her, and she's like obsessed with this stuff. And she, she calls it Ratchet TV. Have you guys ever heard of that? Ratchet TV? I had, she said that, and I was like, a ratchet? What do you mean? Like, I'm ratcheting like a tool? I didn't get it. Anyway, it was, it was this whole thing. But the Bible says, no, you, you live differently. 
you, you are not obsessed with the things the world is obsessed with. The Bible calls, so the ladies in the church, you know what the Bible calls you to? To live a gentle and quiet life, having a gentle and quiet spirit. It's not always like obsessed with soap operas and, and, and I'm not saying y'all, sorry. Anyway, that sounded sexist. It's not always like, it's not always on some stuff. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're quiet in your heart. You're not always like got something to, to do. I don't know. It's not like that. Men. I, I'm a man. I, I, I rage on the inside. And there's some days when people cross me wrong, I'm like, I'm ready to get out the car and throw some blows. Men, you're, we're not called to that. We're called to meekness. You know what meekness is? It's strength under control. Our example is Christ. You think you, think you got something to say when they punch Christ in the mouth? You think you can't leave a, live a meek life? We're not called to, what, to do what the rest of the world is doing. We're called to something else. We are, we are representatives of Christ in this dark world. This is a, basically what this is. It's a call for Christians to live in unity with one another. That means if we have a disagreement with somebody, if we got some kind of beef, we don't take that beef to Twitter. We go face to face and we, and we handle it in a, in a loving and quiet way. It means if we give, if someone gives a generous tithe to the church, it doesn't give you carte blanche to think now you've got special privileges. You don't. You give quietly out of the, out of the joy of your heart. It means if you see some place in the church where we're falling short, like somebody forgot to sweep or, or somebody forgot to clean the bathrooms, God showed you that so you can go do it. I don't mean you can go around complaining about stuff. You do it. Pick up a broom. Clean, clean up. It means if the, if, the, if the child care workers, there's not enough and they've got to shut down the classroom, you go in there and teach the kids. This is what we're called to as Christians, to live and to love sacrificially. Paul says to live, to aspire to live this kind of quiet life, loving both God and his saints. But he also says to mind your own affairs. What does that mean? What does it mean for a Christian to mind their own affairs? I think, it's, I think it's immersing ourselves in what God wants for our lives, not what we think we should have for our life. It's seeking first the kingdom of God and then letting everything else play itself out. It's pursuing the physical, mental, and spiritual betterment of the places we live in. That's what it means to have an, a kingdom agenda for our lives. That's, that's living in the will of God for our lives. I like how Paul puts it in his letter to Timothy, Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. He says, no soldier gets caught, gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Did you guys catch that? No, no soldier gets caught up in what's happening in a different kingdom. It's not his place. So political season is about to come up, right? I see people squirming, but it's upon us. Political season coming up, and it is gross. It is disgusting how Christians stand on one side or the other and point fingers back at each other because they think they have the answers. They get caught up in civilian affairs. Do you know that this kingdom is not our primary responsibility? We belong to the kingdom of Christ. We don't, we don't stand on one side or the other. We have a kingdom agenda in mind. So though, yes, there may be some political issues 
that we stand up for and say, I agree with this side, but there should also be political issues on this side that we say we stand up for those two. Because we have Christ in mind. We don't have a particular party in mind. It means when the Bible says to pray for our leaders, it doesn't mean we get to talk junk about them for six days a week and then Sunday say, God, sick them. It means we pray that everything they do is to the glory of God, even if they make a bad decision. We have a kingdom agenda in mind. We don't, we don't have their agenda in mind. Saints, we don't, we don't have time to be idle busybodies in this life. There's too much to do. We, we, we have this, this, this grand uh, like thing set before us where we're told to go out and make disciples. There's too many people to meet. There's too much to do. There's too, much, there's too many implications of the cross and the resurrection to try to understand. We have to mind our own affairs. It's God's kingdom agenda of the things we should be minding. Paul says we should also aspire to work with our hands. And it's not just a blue-collar thing. Matter of fact, when God put, when God made Adam and, and formed him out of the dust on the earth, and he, he placed him in a garden and said, get to work to, to mend the fields and, and to, you know, cut the grass or whatever he had to do back then. God also gave him a white-collar job in the marketing and research department, naming all the animals. So God blesses both blue-collar work and white-collar work. And God says, I don't care what you do, do it to the glory of God. Whatever God has set before you, do that. Get to work. Paul says that our aspirations for work should be in the context of phileo and agape. In other words, our work, the jobs we have, the hobbies we do on the side, should be thought of through the lens of how can I use this, the skills that God has given me, the job he's blessed me with, to bless others? How can I most glorify God in the skills that he's given me? That's what, that's what Paul is, is trying to give up. Because our work should reflect the excellence of love that God has poured out on us. I was, uh, we were in the midst of, of trying to, uh, like, asking God, like, God, what does it look like to plant a church on that far side of the hill? Because there's so many people who live uh, down that side of the hill, and there's pockets of places within the community that have no church. Not even bad church. They have zero churches. So nobody down there is hearing about the love of God unless they can walk to it. And we were trying to ask God, like, God, what does that look like to plant a church down there? And we were, we were going to different restaurants and different stores, and I was noticing people, because they don't know the excellence of God in their life and they don't understand it, it bleeds out onto their work. And, and, and they, they, don't, they don't get it. Like, if, if I work excellency, that reflects the excellency of love that God has given me. And as Christians, we should be the hardest workers because we understand it. We understand what Christ went through on the cross. We understand that he's our hero that shows us what that looks like so that we can now reflect to the rest of the culture, hey, I'm, I'm going to live excellency because I have an excellent God who loves me. We're to work uh, for, not for our own self-interest. We're to work to give more to volunteer more, to please God more. I'll, I'll put myself on Front Street. You know when you do your taxes at the end of the year and, and that check comes back and you're like, man, I've had my eye on something. I just got to spend this money. How about, how about use that money to the glory of God? 
How about that's an extra blessing that you saw the person, you know your brother is in need, they can't pay their rent this month. How about, how about you help there? Loving God and loving your neighbors. And this is, this is so deep because, because now it has implications for the jobs we have. Like God may be calling some of us to switch to a lower paying occupation because we'll have more of a kingdom impact. Like uh, Pastor Ryan down at South Reno, he was working in a big time job at IGT, making, making bank. And God called him to ministry. And now he's a pastor. And I don't know if you guys know this. We, we don't make a whole lot of money. It's not like the South. They, they get paid. We're out West. <laughs> God may be calling some of you to switch to lower paying occupations for more kingdom impact. God may be calling some of you back to school to take on jobs like lawyers and nurses and doctors so that you can have a greater impact. It's all for the kingdom, though. He may be calling some of you uh, to use that hobby that you do on the side to have a greater impact. I, I was talking to my wife uh, about all this, and she was telling me about this football player who, during the offseason, uh, knits. Big old 300-pound dude sitting there with some yarn, just knitting away. And he's doing that because he understands the offseason in the NFL, all the temptations he can get into. And there's plenty. But for, this, for the sake of his team, for the sake of what's placed before him in his career, he knits. He's mitten little mittens, little scully caps. He's giving them out to his teammates. Also, he can be a better teammate. Why aren't we doing this? If somebody in the NFL has this in mind, how come we don't have in mind that our jobs reflect and our hobbies reflect our faith and our love? And they're all to the glory of God. The reason we work, it's not for our own self-advancement. We're representatives of another kingdom, and everything we do is to promote the great I am. So while we're busy modeling the rest of the world, working for our own advancement, Jesus is lamenting that the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. And all of this, all, everything that Paul is saying, basically he's saying, it ain't about you. <laughs> and that's my last point. It ain't about you. Newsflash, welcome to church. It's not about you. Look at verse 12. Paul says, uh, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul gives two reasons why we should aspire to make these changes in our lives, and neither of them are about us. The first one he says is to walk properly before outsiders. The reason why we have to think through our faith through this theology of love, the reason why Paul is calling us to live quiet lives, minding our own affairs, uh, and, and staying busy with work is because we're trying to win over those who don't know Christ and win them into the family of God. It's about them. I, I've heard um, one pastor say, we may be the only Bible that people read in their entire lives. People's understanding about who Christ is is going to come from the, the examples of how we live our life. In other words, we're disciples making disciples. Disciples making disciples. Anyway. Man, Northern Nevada is, is one of the most unchurched places in all of America. And people are constantly making judgments about who Christ is based on the lives they see us live. 
So if those who are outside of Christ see us walking around with this I-know-it-all attitude and always in the middle of somebody else's drama and slacking off at work, they're thinking about Christ when they hear this message of love, something's off. I don't don't know if I fully believe this. If this is what a Christian turns into, I don't know if I want that. Paul says we display our brotherly love so that we can walk properly before outsiders. He also says that we uh, make these aspirations in our life uh, so that we can live dependent on no one. So Paul may have been thinking about uh, the Thessalonian church. They had some of their saints, when they got saved, they heard this message of Christ. They just stopped working. They're like, Christ is coming back like in the next hour or so. I don't have time for this. I got to pray. But it's been like three months and they're still praying and Christ ain't came back yet. And they were mooching off of everybody else. Paul says, get to work. Matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians, he tells them, matter of fact, if you don't work, you don't get to eat. We're not supposed to live a life that's, that's burdening, burdening our Christian brothers and sisters. I like how John Stott said this. He says, it's an expression of love to support others who are in need. But it's also an expression of love to support ourselves so as not to need to be supported by others. Both are aspects of love. So Paul says, aspire to live a life where the dependency is on Christ for the things we need and not other people. Because that's a platform people can't handle. When we try to put people in the place of God, that's a crushing weight. He also doesn't want us to to provide the physical needs for a person and then have them rely on us. Because we can't handle that weight either. Ultimately, we want to point them to Christ, who is the great provider. And all of this, all that Paul is talking about, it's pointing us and the Thessalonians to live a life that looks like Christ's life. He's the one who set the example for what self-sacrificing, other-centered love looks like. Jesus says that greater love knows no one than someone to lay his life down for his friends. Christ sets the example of what love looks like. He sets the example of what living a simple life looks like. Bible says he didn't even have a place to lay down at night. He had no place to call his own. It means he didn't have the perfect spot to hold community group on Thursdays. He didn't have a spot to even have the last supper and he had to go borrow a space from someone. One of the most significant events in Christian history was a borrowed room because Christ was living a simple life. Christ was someone who minded his own business. He didn't meddle into the affairs of a kingdom that wasn't his. Matter of fact, when they they tried to entrap him into political uh, discourse, he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and then give to God what's God's. I don't have time to meddle in what you guys are talking about. I came to do the Father's will. Don't try to entrap me and all that other stuff. And he worked hard. Bible says he was a carpenter. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to like work with wood. It is tough. Like I tried to cut a right angle the other day in a piece of wood. Man, it was all kind of jacked up. I just, we got tables that are all lopsided. I can't figure it out. But the Bible says Jesus wasn't a carpenter. This is what he did. He sweat in the desert heat as a carpenter, blue collar guy. And he lived his life like that until he came into ministry. And then for three years, he worked hard living this perfect life that God had called him to. God called 
us to live in perfection. And because we couldn't do it, Christ did it on our behalf. Living a perfect life, following every aspect of the law. And then he went to the cross. And he worked hard on the cross. Reconciling our relationship with God. Adopting us as sons and daughters. Making it so that we didn't have to spend an eternity in hell separated from God. I've heard some people say that Christ worked harder in those three hours on the cross than most of us will work in our entire lifetime. And then he died on the cross and then he rose again. And even right now he's working hard as an advocate standing in front of the Father for everything we continue to do wrong in his face. Like I gave you this faith. I gave you a way out that you don't have to continue to sin. And even when you do, I'm still going to be your advocate. And so day after day, night after night, Christ is our advocate before the Father, working hard on our behalf. If you ever, if ever you feel like you've had a tough day at work, think to the cross. Christ worked hard and he continues to work hard on our behalf. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to say this to you. Uh, Christians, we, we have definitely gotten this wrong. Like we've, we've jacked this up. Matter of fact, we've jacked it up so bad that prosperity preachers are now considered orthodox and Christians are considered uh, busybody know-it-alls who, who, who feel like they might catch cooties from non-believers. And on behalf of the saints of God, yo, I'm sorry. That's, that's not what the Christian faith is supposed to be. We've misrepresented God by putting our careers ahead of the proclamation of the gospel. We've not loved the way Christ told us to love, and we get caught up in the affairs of a kingdom that's not ours. But this is our calling as the saints of God, to love one another because God loved us first, and he set the bar for what love looks like. To live quiet lives, minding our own business, and working hard at whatever we do, displaying the excellencies of Christ because Christ was first excellent toward us. And being representatives to a lost world and knowing that everything we do, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. And I pray, I pray that we remember the depths of God's love so that we can further and deeper and more profoundly love each other with the brotherly affection we're called to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message of truth. Um, thank you that you first loved us um, so that we can understand what it means to truly be loved. And out of that agape love, we can now display this brotherly affection toward one another. One another. We no longer have to be separated by our sin and shame and guilt. We can come and love on one another in the freedom that we've been given in Christ. Thank you, God, that you, you placed us here as an example to, to display the love of God. Help us to continue to reach the unsaved saints. They need to know your love. They need to, they need to feel it from us and, and, and know that no matter what uh, sin they may have done, no matter what entrapment Satan has put them into, uh, no matter what, what habits they may continue to have, your love can overcome all of that. For the sake of your kingdom, God, for your glory, help us love each other better. Help us love you more and more. And it's through the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.